Well, good morning, Good Shepherd Baptist Church. It is so good to see you. I've got to tell you, we had a Good Friday service at Rose Hill. And as we were wrapping up the Good Friday service, we had the Lord's Supper. And as I stood before the congregation, I said, I want you to know, at Good Shepherd Baptist Church, we serve a close communion. And I went, nope, nope, this is Rose Hill Baptist Church. And my wife later said, you know, that's like uh, calling your wife by your girlfriend's name. You get that, right? (laughs) And I said, well, they're forgiving, and I'm grateful for that. What a privilege it is to be here. You folks mean so, so very much to me and my family. And I have to tell you, you mean that because of the faithful ministry of your pastor. When When we came to Good Shepherd, we came hurting, we came very discouraged, and it was through the ministry of Pastor Kenny that the Lord used to, to really restore our ministry. I can tell you, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Pastor Kenny. There's just absolutely no question about that. And what a privilege it is, and I have watched this dear brother minister to folks in their deepest, most difficult times, and Each and every time, there was no question how he was going to minister, and that was going to be a ministry through the Word. It is so, so very unique for a pastor not just to stay this long, but also for a pastor to have this type of a ministry. And I can tell you that this type of ministry, this ministry of the Word, doesn't happen by chance. This brother, as uh, the years that I was here, I can tell you that this brother spent long times preparing the message that God would have for you in order that you would be fed as the Lord, uh, the Lord as he knew the Lord would have him to do. I, w- I want to share with you just a couple statistics that I, I, I thought about uh, um, before I get started. This does not count as my preaching time. Uh, from the Rainer Research Group, the median tenure of a pastor in 1996 is 3.6 years. In 2004, it was four years, 2008, four years, 2012 through 2016. The median tenure of a pastor is six years. And here you have a pastor that's been here for 25 years. In, in churches across America... 4,000 new churches begin each year, 7,000 churches close each year. Over 1,500 have left the ministry every month last year. Uh, Over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church. But it sounds like to me, Brother Kenny, uh, as Brother Bill's presented you with a clock, time's running out. (laughs) Well... So much to say. I can tell you again, this this is such a wonderful church. What a privilege it is. I, I um, having not been raised in church, when I stand here and listen to you sing and watch the folks in the choir sing, um, I grab Travis by the arm and I ask him about about some folks. And you know, it's uh, it's also something for the voices that we don't hear. I can tell you, can't tell you how many times when my office was down here, I would hear the door just explode open and you could hear Jerry Granby make his way down the hallway 
And he would come down to my door and he would say, what you, I said, Mr. Granby, what are you doing today? And he said, well, I'm taking mom to the kinky house. That was the beauty shop. But it didn't, I, I thought, what on earth? Uh, <laughs> what on earth? Uh, so many wonderful times. And then when things would get a little bit slow, I would hear Pastor Kenny say, hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. And I would step out into the hallway and I'd get shot with an airsoft gun. Uh, and, and I found out that his airsoft gun was way more quality than mine because he was, he was quite a, quite a shot with that. If you would take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. So much I could say about Pastor Kenny, but the hallmark of Pastor Kenny's ministry has always been a ministry of the word. And so we want to honor that today. Deuteronomy chapter 11. I want to speak to you today on the subject of the responsibility of each generation. The responsibility of each generation. Faithfulness doesn't happen by chance. Faithfulness requires being on the right path and walking on that path daily for a long, long time. Faithfulness should not only be admired, but I want you to say, I want to say this to you. Faithfulness not only should be admired, but faithfulness should be emulated. You have a pastor that's been here for 25 years and for all of those years he has stood before you and he has faithfully preached the word, told you what God has said. And my encouragement to you, Good Shepherd Baptist Church, would be not just to admire that faithfulness but to emulate that faithfulness. I don't know if what, I know what kind of neighborhood many of you live in. You live in the neighborhood where the True Green Company comes and they spray your lawn and all that stuff. I have never had a lawn like that. My lawn is cut it as fast as possible. Cut it as close as possible. I, I live in a neighborhood where they all have the True Green folks come. And my lawn, I, I think it's my call to propagate the dandelions in my community. You may not know this, but about, if you would have, if you were to come to North America 500 years ago, there's many things that you wouldn't find in America. You would not have, in, in North America, you would have not found pigs. You would have found no apple trees and not a single horse on all of the continent. But you may not know this, but there was also no dandelions here in North America. To many of you, you can say amen to that. But dandelions have been a staple throughout Europe. They're only native to Europe and to Asia. But when the, when, when the settlers came to the United, or came to North America, many of the Europeans wanted their lawns decorated like their lawns in Europe. And so they brought dandelion seeds to North America and planted them in their lawn. I'm just a traditionalist. Because what, what you may not know is that dandelions are rich in vitamin C and iron and calcium and potassium. And so they're good for things like um, dandruff and baldness and toothaches and sores and on and on you could go. And so they brought them here to, they brought those dandelions here to remind them not only of, uh, the, of, of Europe but also they brought them also for their nutritional value because they would eat them. But before the settlers were able, even able to make their way west, the dandelions had already gotten there. 
Something so small as a dandelion, something so small that seems to have had no purpose is something that came with great purpose to them, and that purpose has long ago been lost. You know, the preaching of the Word is much like that. The preaching of the Word, now we see that... uh, Now we see many of those, some of the most famous, who put out millions and billions of tweets and yet never mention the name of Jesus. We see, we hear those who seek to entertain the crowds and yet that simple faithfulness of explaining the Word of God is not found, but that is found here. When we open the pages of Deuteronomy, this is a book that's easily overlooked not because of its size, it's easily overlooked because we don't often go there. But what Moses was doing as he writes this book, he was writing it in order not to give the law as, not to give the law again as its name would imply, the second law, but rather to apply the word of God to those second generation Jewish people, those second generation followers in order that they would know what faithfulness would look like. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we find these two responsibilities of faith for each generation. And I want you to notice with me in verse 1, as we see each generation is responsible to invest in the future. And those investments are made by walking with the Lord. Look with me in verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God, and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. Know this day that I'm not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, and His outstretched arm, and His signs and His works, which He did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all His, and, and to all his land. Verse 4. And what He did to Egypt's army, to its horses and to its chariots, When he made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you, and the Lord completely destroyed them, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Aram and the sons of Elam and the sons of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their their households, their tents, every living thing that followed them among all of Israel. But your own eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord, which he did. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a privilege it is to be here at Good Shepherd Baptist Church today. Lord, what a privilege it is to come and honor this dear brother who has served you so faithfully to this congregation in this place. Now, Lord, we pray that as we look to your word today, that when we leave this place, not only will we leave it more like Christ, but in being more like Christ, we leave it more faithful than when we came. Lord, I pray that this day will be an encouragement to my brother, will be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters in this place to even greater faithfulness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this, this really turns out to be what is Moses' farewell address. I'm not saying that I'm here to preach Pastor Kenny's farewell address. Don't take that at all. But what, it, what we do find is that this is Moses' farewell address. And as Moses is explaining this to the people of God, he is encouraging them to continue in the faithfulness that they had seen in Moses. And so as he addresses these young leaders, he's calling on them to now rise up and take that firm grasp on the Word of God and to take that forward, to continue what they have seen. 
Moses calls these, these believers, these brothers and sisters, he calls them to what, and tells them what faithfulness looks like. Now notice again what he says in verse 1. Look closely with me. He tells them that the Lord is to be foremost in their hearts. He said, you shall love the Lord your God and always keep his commandments. That the Lord is to be, that faithfulness means that it is not just an issue of what you do. But faithfulness is an issue of what is going on in your heart. That when you open the Word of God, and the Word of God, the goal is not just to know more of the Word, but the goal is to be transformed by the Word. And as you are transformed by the Word, it changes your heart, and, that, and as a result of a heart change comes a change in action. But he tells them also that their love for the Lord is to be demonstrated through the obedience of the Word. Brothers and sisters, you have been so blessed to have so many years of of faithfulness through the preaching of the Word of God. And for that, you should be grateful. But from that comes a tremendous responsibility because as the Word of God has been preached, then there is an expectation for you to go and apply the Word of God into every area of your life. And as the Word of God is applied into every area of life, it not only transforms who you are and it transforms what you do, but it also transforms those that you are around. So that means that never again when the Word of God is preached, never again in your life can you approach work the same way. Can you approach your family relationships the same way in every area, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you see, regardless of the responsibilities that you have. The Word of God has a subversive effect in transforming and changing you to be more like Christ and changing the way you do what God has called you to do. But faithfulness also is an obedience to the Lord that encompasses in all and every area of life. And so when we look at the faithfulness of this brother in this place, and not just his brother but his family, we're reminded that investments are made by you walking with the Lord. That it's, it's, it's not just enough to stand and proclaim the word. It must be lived and that must be demonstrated in your life. I've been a pastor for not nearly as long as Pastor Kenny. But I can't, I can tell you, and these brothers who have pastored for years can also tell you the destructive effect that it it has when a parent brings their children to church and yet their life does not reflect what is going on at home. When we came to Good Shepherd, we came very discouraged. I can tell you, the choice when we came to Good Shepherd was either to leave the ministry or to come to Good Shepherd. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine called me, and he said something to me that hurt deeply, but he was right. He said, Matt, you need to be in a healthy church. You need to go to Good Shepherd because you need to be in a healthy church. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear something different. I'm not actually sure what I wanted to hear. But I can tell you that it was on the Saturday night, the church had had a, had a reception. And it was on a Saturday night that when Chrissy and I, she wanted to say hello. My whole family has some type of sinus infection, so they're not able to be here today. They so very much wanted to be. But we were walking out. Almost everyone was gone, and we were walking out. And, and Michael, you may not know this. But it was you that the Lord used to bring us to Good Shepherd. 
Because we walked out and I saw the way Pastor Kenny's children acted. And I mean that in a good way. I watched Michael dance across the parking lot. (laughs) And I thought, if that little guy has, he wasn't, I say little guy, uh, if that guy has the freedom to do that, that tells me all I need to know about the pastor with whom I'll serve. I can't tell you, church, what kind of destructive effect it has when you preach one thing and live another. But you you can't know what kind of transforming effect it has when there is consistency, not just between what you say, but also with what you do. And notice, Moses is telling these second generation followers, he's telling them that the transformation begins, the carrying out, the faithfulness begins in consistency in your walk. Let that walk be so consistent that what you say and what you do are aligned. And that doesn't mean... Listen, I was the perfect parent until I had children. And then when we had children, it's just by the grace of God. Parenting is so very, very difficult. But I can tell you that God is gracious in that. And that God, uh, God, God uses not just... God, God doesn't use, God uses perfection in Jesus, but he uses grace and, tra- and brokenness in his people. And that when, when, when you go to your children and say, I'm sorry, I messed up, forgive me, that makes all the difference in the world. But we see this faithfulness here with Moses, and we see that each generation has this responsibility to invest in the future, and these investments are made by you walking with the Lord. Good Shepherd Baptist Church can be such and is such a powerful impact, a powerful influence in this community, not just because the pastor has faithfully proclaimed the Word of God from this pulpit for years, but that the people of God walk from this place and live what is being proclaimed here in the pulpit. That makes all the difference in the world. And folks, it's more difficult now than ever before. Because now... Simply stating what is a man, what is a woman, what is a marital relationship is now controversial. But it is the responsibility not to be popular. It is the responsibility to be faithful. Recently, Dr. Moeller, Al Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, made this comment. He said, if you are a faithful expositor, you will be called the troubler of Israel. If you faithfully say, what, this is what God says... You're going to be considered a troublemaker. But faithfulness comes as you are walking with the Lord. And in these investments are made as you deliberately pass on the faith. Now notice what he says here again in verse 2. He says, know this day that I'm not speaking with your sons. Notice, maybe you want to underline this. Who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord your God. 
He said, these, these, believe, these young people have never seen God's faithfulness. They didn't see God bring you from the Red Sea. They didn't see God as he delivered you from the Egyptians. He, they didn't see the miraculous works that God has done. And so it is your responsibility to tell them of the faithfulness of God. It's your responsibility to tell them how God delivered you when you were, when you were in over your head. It, it, it is your responsibility to tell of God's faithfulness when your family was lost. It is your responsibility to tell of God's faithfulness when God delivered you, when God called you into the ministry, when God used you in a great way, when God, when you saw God do remarkable things. It's your responsibility, church, to tell the next generation. And you've got to do that on purpose. You've got to tell them. Because faithfulness doesn't happen by chance. It not only, not only requires you to walk in the way of the Lord, but faithfulness also requires you to tell of those who follow you, your children, of the faithfulness of God. And point that out. Be purposeful in pointing, pointing that out. I have in my congregation, I have a wonderful congregation. They were very, very hurt. They had been through a very, very difficult time. And God called us there, and church revitalization is not easy. We've been there almost four years, and I can tell you, it wasn't just every Monday. There were sermons that I was preaching in the middle of the sermon, and I thought, if the rapture would happen right now, that'd be wonderful. But God's been faithful. Just not all that long ago, I got a phone call, wife of one of my deacons. And Kimberly is just a wonderful lady. Her husband is a faithful deacon, a faithful expositor of the word. Her nephew was sitting across the desk from me, and she said, Matt, David's had a really bad MRI. I need you to come. David's one of my deacons. He's also my cardiologist. So I'm on my way. And they said I I couldn't tell anybody. So even her nephew sitting across the desk, I couldn't tell. So I went to the hospital and Dr. Bush said to me, he said, that's David. He said, I thought I've had... Pneumonia. He said, so we did a chest x-ray. And he said, when we put it on the screen, he said, I should be at death's door. Within the next few days, he was, we were to, we were to go away on vacation. And he said, go ahead. There's not going to be a problem. I think I've just got an infection. While I was away, they took him to the Cleveland Clinic. And I got a phone call from a top administrator at the hospital. And he said, Matt, you need to understand. This is worse than any of us ever thought. David will not be coming back from the Cleveland Clinic alive. So while, he was, while, while I'm in Florida... My congregation is being, being going through the deepest water that they had ever gone through. I'm just loading scripture so it would just fire it off constantly. 
And I got, then I started getting phone calls because he serves widely in our congregation. And I'll never forget one of the phone calls. Because my response as a pastor was, here's what the Word of God says. We're going to pray. And one of, my, one of the guys called, and this is a faithful man. He said, Matt, you need to make serious plans. Because he's going to die. And I said, I'm making serious plans. We're going to pray. We're going to put out the word. We're going to trust the Lord. So we got back, and I was still supposed to be on vacation, and we had an anointing service on a Sunday afternoon. I wasn't even there that Sunday morning. I came in, and we did the anointing service, and over 200 people showed up to anoint him with oil. And I had people standing beside of me saying, have you, have you ever seen this work? I said, I know what the Word says. So we anointed him with oil, and before the end of the week, he was in the ICU. Again, he'll never live through the day. So we had a 24-hour prayer vigil. It's been viewed over 30,000 times. We had everybody praying for Dr. Bush. And I can tell you that Dr. Bush preached for me just a couple weeks ago. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You see, our responsibility, our responsibility in proclaiming the word is a responsibility not in looking at everything around us and and taking it all in. Our responsibility is understanding everything around us by what the Word of God says and telling people like that. Folks, listen. When you have folks from the Cleveland Clinic, Clinic call you and say, He's not coming back alive. The the response from that is a miraculous response. And I can tell you this brother is preaching all over the place now. He's a fantastic preacher and he's preaching all over the place. And he's proclaiming the work of God. Now listen, if if the preacher stands up and tells you God has given me a miraculous healing, you go, okay, that's wonderful, that's great, great preacher, good preacher talk. When a board-certified cardiologist stands before you and says God has miraculously healed me, that's a whole different ballgame. And he does on a regular basis. You see, it is our responsibility to deliberately be a witness of what God has done. Look what it says in verse 7. He says, But your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord which he did. Is there a story that you have experienced, a time when you have seen God move in a miraculous way? Then I'm going to tell you, it is your responsibility to tell other people of the miraculous deliverance of the Lord. Just as I shared that story with you, I shared that story with you on purpose because I want you to know that God is able to do above whatever you can imagine and He is faithful to His Word. And I, I have seen this multiple times and saw that. I, it's wonderful. Now, I, I didn't go back to, the, to the, the man who asked me, have you ever seen this work? But I wanted to. But you know what? The Lord's already taken care of that because we all stood still and watched the deliverance of the Lord. So as we think about the faithfulness of our brother... I heard this statement, good expository preaching does not impress the congregation, it feeds them. You have been fed faithfully the Word of God for years. And there is 
There is a goal in what your brother does as he stands here and preaches to you. You see, not only does each genera- is each generation responsible to invest in the future, but each generation is responsible to be obedient to the Lord. Each generation serves God out of, listen, regeneration and not determination. Let me say that again. Each generation is responsible to be obedient to the Lord, but remember, obedience comes, it comes, your service comes not out of determination, but out out of regeneration. Let me say that one more time so you can follow me. Obedience is your responsibility, but that responsibility of obedience comes not out of determination, but it comes out of regeneration. What do you mean? Well, look with me in chapter in, in verse 8. You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today, so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, so that you may procla- prolong your days on the, on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your, like, with your foot like a vegetable garden. But the land in which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rains of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end. Now I want you to notice again in verse 8. He says, you shall therefore keep your commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be strong. Go in and possess it. Here's here's something you're going to want to know. He tells them, all you've got to do is be obedient. And I'm going to so bless you. The land that you have is going to be a land that flows with the blessings of God. You're going to be strong. It's going to be miraculous. And the nations of the world are going to see the blessings of God on you. And they're going to turn from their pagan gods. And they're going to turn to to the God of Israel. They're going to turn to me. They've never possessed the land that God had promised them. Because they were never obedient in the way that God had called them to. Why? Because obedience comes out of regeneration, not determination. What does that mean? That means until the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and transforms your heart and He empowers you to live in this way, there's no possible way to live that way. And so what is it? It is that the Israelites are a display of inability of mankind to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Listen to what John writes. John writes these words, By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. That means that when we come to faith in Christ, our hearts are made new and the ability that we have now is no longer our ability, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit living through us to be obedient to Him. So that first question we all must ask is, my is my disobedience to Him evidence of not knowing Him? Is my contrite heart evidence, is it a display of being of the Holy Spirit living inside of me? You see, obedience doesn't come out of determination. Obedience comes out of regeneration. 
When we have been made new, we live for Him. Why? Because the law reveals the character of God. It reveals that He is holy, that He is righteous, that He is just. And the character of men, it reveals to be unrighteous, to be unholy. And simply, it reveals it to be lost. You see, with this, I'm going to close. Each generation is the possessor of a straying heart. This straying not just the case with Israel. The straying heart is the case with me and the case with you. Listen to what he writes. Verse 13. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, that you will give the rain that I that he will give the rain for your land and its season and and early and the late rain that you may gather in your gar in your grain and your new wine and your oil he will give grass in your fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied beware that your hearts look in verse sixteen beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or anger, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens, so that there will be no rain, on the, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. You see, Moses was clear in the expectations of the Lord. He was clear with the blessings of the Lord. But the reality is the Jewish people have never possessed all of the promised land, nor do they ever love the Lord as expected. Notice again in verse 16. Would you take your pen or your pencil, and would you just underline that verse, would you? Notice what he writes. Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. You see, that same same deceptive heart is a heart that lives inside of each and every one of us. Apart from the power, listen to me church, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I go in the exact same way as the children of Israel. Apart from a new heart, created a new, a regenerated heart, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I go in the same direction as them. You and I have a heart that is desperately wicked and above all things deceitful. We go to Disney. We love Disney. You hear Jiminy Cricket say, let your conscience be your guide. That's a wonderful Disney song, but it's stupid theology. Let your heart be your guide. You, you let your conscience be your guide. But above all that, recognize that as we are seeking faithfulness, as we are seeking to be obedient to the Lord, there is a recognition here That we each possess a straying heart. That the law reveals who we are. But there's great news. That as as, as Christ came, he brought a new covenant. And that new covenant enabled us to, enables us, because of the blood of Christ, enables us to live in a way that we could have never lived before. Maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible teaches us 
that each and every one of us have that straying heart. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He regenerates. He gives us a new heart. He makes us new. And that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're able to live for Him and live in a way that we could have never lived before. But maybe you're here today and you hear this message and you are so grateful for the faithfulness of Pastor Kenny over all these years. But you recognize, brothers, you recognize, sister, that that faithfulness is the responsibility of each and every generation. That the faithfulness that you saw here is not just to be admired, but that faithfulness is to be emulated. It is a faithfulness that requires you and I both to continue on. It requires each and every one of us to take what we hear and not just listen to that and be grateful for what we've heard, but be grateful for what we've heard by applying it and being transformed by it. You see, faithfulness not only requires the purposeful involvement of us all, but it requires continuing to walk in faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I'm sure you know the story of one of the most celebrated hymns of all time. This hymn was written after major trauma in the life of Horatio Spafford. The first was the great Chicago fire of 1871, which ruined him financially. He had been a wealthy businessman, but shortly thereafter, while crossing the Atlantic, all of Spafford's children were killed as the Voldehar, Voldehar sank. And you know that you may know the telegraph that he received while he was in Chicago, those two words, saved alone. Even if you may not know the story of the hymn, you know the hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Would you sing that with me? It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Over a year ago, I was in Israel. I was meeting with a group of Christian leaders with a Palestinian leader. And I was with a group of people. As a, uh, uh, there were some pa- a couple other pastors, but there was a whole room full of politicians. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you that that meeting went south quickly. And so the, pol- the politicians, they, these were Christian politicians who were more than capable of, of going toe-to-toe with this Palestinian. So I, w- I left. And I was walking around the hotel. 
And there was a reason I left. It wasn't just, just because I was being rude. I, I was being rude, but I left. After you hear Israel's uh, Jewish people bash so many times, you just can't take it anymore. So I started to walk around the hotel because I'd heard something about this hotel. It's called the American Colony Hotel. And it had been owned by Horatio Spafford, the author of It Is Well With My Soul. There's more to the story of It Is Well With My Soul. After Spafford had suffered such great loss and then sent his family away to Europe to hear Moody preach, when he received that telegram, that telegraph, there was guilt because he couldn't afford to send his family on that trip in the first place. There was guilt because he had lost his children. And as I told you already, Faithfulness is not just something that you admire, it's something that you emulate. Faithfulness is something that requires you to continue to walk in that path even when the waters are overwhelming. So Spafford, losing everything, abandoned his church. Spafford abandoned faithful Christianity and adopted a heretical view because he believed that God would never allow him to face the difficulty that he did. And so he, he said he believed that Jesus was coming soon. Well, I can tell you that I believe Jesus is coming soon. And so he sold what little things that he had and he moved to Israel and he, he, he started a cult known as the American Colony. That cult found itself at the Amer- what is now known as the American Colony Hotel. I didn't know this at the time. But I'm walking around what I thought had been a hotel owned by Sp- Horatio Spafford, and it wasn't a hotel owned by Horatio Spafford at all. It was a cult center when he was there. And so after he passed away, his wife took over, and she was called the mother of the American Colony. And she required no one to marry. She confiscated all of their money. And she controlled their lives in the name that Jesus was returning soon. You see, I love that hymn. It broke my heart when I read those words. But you see, faithfulness is not just something. Faithfulness is not just something that we admire in another. Faithfulness is something that is required of you and I as well. That when difficulty comes, we're to be faithful. And in order to be faithful, we've got to purposefully pass that along to others. How about you? It would be a shame today that if we only said how grateful we were for Pastor Kenny and not resolved to be faithful in that same way. It'd be a shame today if we, were, we didn't just, if we said we are so thankful for 25 years of faithfulness when others stick around for six, he stuck around for 25 and not just stuck around, but faithfully preached the Word of God. It'd be a shame if each and every one of us did not resolve in our heart, no, we won't be like Spafford. We're going to be faithful till the end because that is the work of regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus. You don't know for sure that your sins have been forgiven. You don't know for sure that heaven is your eternal home. And in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And I'm going to ask you to come. Won't you resolve today, I'm going to pass along my faith to the next generation. I'm going to be faithful. Just a moment, I want you to step out. Just a moment, I want you to come. Father.